0: Hello and welcome to Going Off Track, the only podcast that we host. <laughs> I, I'm That's, joined today. Wait, you you host another podcast? I don't host another podcast. I thought it came out. No, I'm working on another podcast project, um, but I just haven't had time to really uh, a project. I'm working on a project, um, but you been, joined, you join a bear of going off track in United Nations. Things have been crazy lately with United Nations and. Don't you have a record guys. out? We do have a record, just came out on July 15th. Yeah, the, congratulations. The next four years, thank you. We'll be touring the Midwest, East Coast, and Canada in August. If you've never seen United
1: Nations, I implore you, please go. It's quite an experience. Yeah, um, Wear your earplugs, please. Wear I earplugs. You. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> This is what I say to people. They're like, I'm scared I'm going to get hurt. I'm like, you're not going to get hurt. It's going to be fine. It's very safe. Um, But I would say it's also very loud. Very
1: loud, but it's also the only band I've seen in probably a long time where a pit develops, it isn't asked for. Which I've always found lame. If your band has to ask for a pit... you don't ask. You don't. Either it happens or it doesn't. And yours happens organically... And those that happen organically know how to do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I never really pay attention to that. It's like, I feel like when we play at Vitus, usually it's so crowded that there isn't physically room for a pit, (laughs) which I feel like is nice. But, um, a whole room is a pit. Yeah. You know, I think it's, I always think it's like kind of like weird when people are like start a pit. Like, yeah. It's like, I get it. I get like you're trying to like get the crowd involved and stuff. But you, I think you're kind of right too. It's like, if it's going to happen, it should happen. If it doesn't happen, well, in some
2: venues, I mean, if you can't, if there's no room, you can't do it, dude. I would just just say... Keep it to yourself.
0: uh, Keep it to yourself. Also, (laughs) if uh, if you're going to stage dive, just, like, be aware that, like, people have, like, pedals and cables set up. Just try to, like, not... Beers. Beers. Maybe don't stage dive. Maybe stop that trend. (laughs) Maybe don't. But if you're going to do it, like, try not to, like... And also
1: sing-alongs. Don't ask people to sing along. If they haven't sung yet, they don't know the words.
0: Yeah, someone was telling me recently that went to a show and the band kept being like, every song, like, all right, like, move up. Like, and it's like, I get it. Like, sometimes you need to say that because I feel like sometimes crowds can be kind of shy and it's like awkward if they're way in the back. But I'm like, you can say it once or twice. But I was like, dude, if you start saying it every song, it's like, it gets weird. You know who is allowed to say it is the middle band in like a three band lineup because
2: people, you know, they're always yeah. scattered around the outside of the room. It's okay
0: for them. If you're the yeah, headliner
2: yeah. and you have to say that, then, yeah.
0: Or just problem. or just say it once, man. But it's like, I feel like people kind of get the get the p- picture and then they're sort of like, I feel like if they're not moving up, they're saying like, no, I'm good. I'm good where I'm at. Like, thank you. Thank you, but I'm good. And then you're like, move up. And then it's like, no, I'm good. And then move up. And then I feel like it creates this weird dynamic where you're just yeah, like. Yeah, it becomes school. Yeah. No one wants that. Everyone, everyone needs Then hates you're uncomfortable, school. and then you go to the back to get a beer and you don't come back. Yeah. I think all this shit talking is, is very, uh, very
1: uh, poignant with our guest today.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, and speaking of United Nations, uh, today's guest, Christopher Norris, a.k.a. Steak Mountain, did um, part of the artwork for. We actually, I had never met him, and he lives in my new neighborhood, and I asked him to come on the podcast. And then Jeff was here and Jeremy from Timber Residence, and we were like, you should do the artwork for this crazy box that we're doing. And he made this 7-inch for, um, I think it was for, I don't know, four of the songs. I can't remember. It's, like, spread out over so many releases. But uh, the 7-inch he made, it's incredible. It looks like it came out in 1990, and it's, like, the total, like, Xerox, you know, who's in Combat Wounded Veteran. Mm -hmm. And uh, he made this incredible, incredible 7-inch. And obviously, you know, he does a lot of the art for Against Me and that type of stuff and he just really has that kind of aesthetic down. I'm sorry about that. But um yeah, so he came by the podcast and uh He's a vocal dude. I like he's him. He's a vocal dude. I and, like you, him a lot. and you know what I like about about Chris is like I feel like everyone is scared to like really talk shit. Like I feel like everyone's so scared to offend people and I feel like, you know, this is something I deal with too like being a critic, but also like being on like a lot of sides of a lot of things like Sometimes you're like, uh, this is, I wanna say this thing, but I feel like it's just gonna like come back and be like more trouble than it's worth. Chris just like does not care. I love it. I feel like that dude just will just is a real straight shooter and just doesn't care. And I feel like he's kind of in his own world where he just creates his cool art. And he shits on he two of
1: my favorite bands in the podcast, and I was laughing so hard yeah, man. that
0: I could barely breathe. <laughs> he's awesome. So let's all listen to the brilliance and the anger. Anger, (laughs) of Chris Norris, a.k.a. Steak Mountain. Ah! Maybe your body is
1: freaking Craving, yeah. Although, uh, because this is how we like to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Uh, My wife came home with a bar of chocolate that Mm -hmm. someone from work had given her. And this person at work had just gone on a trip to Israel. She was like, here, try this. Give me chocolate, knowing that I'm always like, yeah, fuck yeah, why not? It. Of
3: course. <laughs>
1: as I'm eating it, I'm like, something's going on here. Something's happening with this chocolate. It was chocolate with pop rocks. Really? From Israel. She was like, I know, right? And then, as soon as you finish the pop rocks, continue going. No, and no. I was like, this is awful. So,
3: does that open up the taste buds or completely? No. And
1: then I drank a diet coke and exploded <laughs> naturally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> welcome, welcome
3: to- oh thank you of course this was great i mean a good start i loved it today mm-hmm. i'm
0: going off track our guest is steak mountain yes is that is that how you should be introduced sure okay
3: Yeah, you know i mean it's the brand you yeah. know so i yeah. guess it's how people know me nobody really knows me as chris norris thank god but it also helps me separate myself in public like i, I think i was telling you it's like no one would ever introduce me as steak mountain if they knew me okay bands and things like that they were just like oh here's chris and then maybe during the show you know you'd be like hey steak mountain's here and then you'd come up and be like i just got introduced to you and you didn't tell me because i fucking never tell anybody <laughs> you know what i mean because i just don't you know i mean the, the, it's like weird to get that kind of attention so that's actually why i started using steak mountain early on just because it was better to
1: just to get it out of the way where'd it come from
3: <clears throat> well originally way back super way back like, ah, fuck, I don't know, 15 years ago? Um, when I started doing artwork for bands, like bands that I was in and things like that, I used uh, I used something called the Amputees, which was fitting at the time because it was always like stupid mutants with arms missing and fucking kid stuff. Um, <laughs> and uh, like, you know, just like my age at that time, you know? So um, it started as the Amputees and... Uh, I had always, pre- prepos- you know, propositioned it, or I always put it out there that it was uh, more than one person. And later on, years later, people st- were still asking me, "So, how many people are in Steak Mountain once it became Steak Mountain?" But, anyways, regardless of that, I started as the amputees. I thought it was really stupid. I always wanted, I always really liked the idea of. Uh, of like artifice and like characters and public personas and things like that. And obviously growing up as a kid in the eighties, you have a lot of, uh, you know, you're inundated with hip hop and rap music and all these guys with these great names. And so I was always really influenced by that. You know what I mean? I was always like, that's really rad. Everybody's got fake names and they don't have to be fucking, you know, Clifford Brown. <laughs> you know what I mean? They get to be some fucking jerk, jerk off name, you know, or something like that. So, um, so that's kind of how it started. And also, uh, long story short, eventually, I find myself uh joking and going, Oh, I'll start calling it the steak department. You know? I don't know why. I mean I do know why, because also at the time the steak stuff all kind of happened because I had been a vegetarian for a great many years, up until recently actually, and I always liked the idea and take kind of taking the model of that band carcass. Mm -hmm. You know, so carcass were all like vegetarians. They were all just like grindcore nerd, left-wings, you know, like vegetarian guys who were in this band with super gory artwork. And so I always kind of liked the idea of being this vegetarian and having something, this fucking nom de plume or whatever that was meat-based. Again, this is like real early little kid stuff. You know, when you think everything's a good idea and then you're like, like, all of a sudden you're still in a band called Green Day, you know what I mean? (laughs) And you're like 40, you know what I mean? That's like the kind of thing where in my, you know, in the past recent, you know, a couple of years I was like... Fuck dude, I'm stuck with this Steak Mountain thing forever. So when I went to register the the Steak Steak website when I was building a online portfolio in early two thousands or something like that, I just was like, I'm gonna call this motherfucker Steakmountain dot com. Great. And then I just started using that as the name. And then it just kind of stuck. And, it and became
0: then, Stkmtn.
3: Uh, Stakmtn. Anything I could without writing "mountain" out. Yeah, yeah. Anything that was before <laughs> it that could work out. Um, I tried to use. That was really jumbled and really. But no, that's pretty. That's pretty much that's the history of it. I just. You know what I mean? It's just kind of one of those things, like where you just. You know, it's like any stupid band that you're in when you're a little kid like or you're a teenager and you're like yeah like any band i was in like combat wounded veteran that sounds like a really great name
1: Do you like a good grass fed or (laughs) wagyu or kobe or what's your what's your jam on the (laughs)
3: steak you know i actually don't eat that much steak even now that i eat meat because, because it, it's really bad for you. <laughs> it's really bad for you, and who can afford steak? It's true. You know it's what I mean. True. At this point,
1: it is <laughs> delicious. Although Joan and I are a big fan of uh, when we can going over to Peter Luger for the nine dollar burger. Yeah, the burger's a good
3: deal. The lunch, lunch hour.
1: <laughs>
0: Fuck. Well, <it's> pretty good. <laughs> we we'll have to do that. Yes. You should. Yeah. It's funny. Like I was hanging out with Paul Delaney, who's been on the podcast before, and he right. was like, "You should have my friend Chris steak mountain." And we were, and I was like, "Really? That guy lives here?" And he's like, "Yeah, he lives down the street. He's awesome." And I had no <laughs> idea. Like, I was familiar with, like, Off With Their Heads and all the Against mm-hmm. Me stuff you've done, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't do like Off
3: With Their Heads, but... You didn't... How, what am I thinking of? Um, you're just thinking of bar, Var using my my handwriting style <laughs> yes. for the records when they were on No Idea. Yes, that is really exactly what, is. what I'm thinking of. Because <laughs> Var and I share very similar Var from No Idea, and I share a very similar handwriting style. Yes,
0: so, which is so, why uh, I think I was like, that guy probably lives in Gainesville with, like, no. Army of Ponch guys oh. and some, like,
3: lives in, like, a half pipe or something. No, dude, with a bunch of fucking herb-ass nerds, fucking <laughs> And listen to Jawbreaker records Fuck no dude I've, I've actually literally Only been to Gainesville Like eight times You know okay. <laughs> um, I'm from Tampa originally You know okay. And so
1: um, Ah the land of strip clubs And sponges
3: Exactly And death metal Yes More importantly That was where the boom happened Really? That's yeah Was that, that studio Morris sound? Morris Sound Yeah Is that where death started? Uh, no they're from Orlando Okay But Morbid Angel Obituary yes, yes, yes. Cannibal Corpse guys Moved down I, From you know upstate what, yes. New York which was like my area yes. when I was when I was like thirteen, twelve, and thirteen, I moved into Florida and moved into Tampa, and that stuff was happening right at that time, and it was like that stuff I mean obviously I'm referencing Carcass and stuff that stuff was a huge that was huge for me as a kid i I was just telling somebody this the other day is that like I get so uh I get associated with the bands that i'm that I'm involved with but i I'm not really part of that world, you know what i mean i'm not a, i mean it's going to sound terrible, but I wasn't an Against Me fan, and I'm only an Against Me fan because Laura and I are so close as friends, and I can respect the craft, and I know when it's good, you know what I mean? But these bands that I work with, I'm, I, I don't listen to this stuff, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not a really big fan of any of these bands, you know, a lot of the stuff that I grew up listening to was death metal and grindcore and being kind of involved in that, and then eventually I got into punk just by going down the food chain of death metal. Napalm Death, realizing Napalm Death were hardcore guys listening to those things and listening to heresy and like things like that, mm-hmm. and then be like, Oh, this stuff's really great. And then realizing that there were homegrown American bands like that. Uh Assuck, Crossed Out, Man is the Bastard, things like that. And I started getting wow. into that. And then I was like, Oh, Rad. And then started those kind of bands and then started getting involved in punk. So I started out as like a crappy little metal kid. You know what I mean? Went did you arts- go? Oh, sorry. Did yeah, did you go to art school or No, I well I did. I went to like a magnet school for high school, like fame without the dancing although there was plenty of dancing a lot of kids who like monty python a lot of corny ass motherfuckers you know what i mean so
1: i mean how many times can you watch the holy grail
3: i hope fucking none i hate uh, it really i hate and i think i don't very rarely it's very rarely opinion. and that's true and i i can rate it even though i <laughs> i hate it but i i always find that like very rarely will I. uh the law of diminishing returns of people who like something mm-hmm. that I hate. I mean, will affect my be able to you know my ability to judge it. But I fucking hate Monty Python. I just <laughs> hate. I just hate it. And Where then do I you stand it. on kids in the hall? Can't stand it.
1: Ah, uh, so not so not a sketch comedy person. <sighs> Don't get Vanessa in here. <laughs>
3: and that's <laughs> no, not necessarily the case. But
1: groups of white guys trying to be funny. Not a fan.
3: <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. I'm I'm a, I'm a singular comedian fan. Hmm. Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis, <laughs> Jerry Lewis, and then not very many other people.
1: This is where the law of diminishing returns is
3: going to help me. Yeah, I
1: know. <laughs> Although the new footage they're finding of the the day of the crown, the day of the clown, clown cred. cried. I know, cried I'm, is, I'm
3: so excited. There's so much more coming out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <sighs> I mean, realistically speaking, you know, Chris Lewis or whatever his son is. Once Jerry passes away, oh yeah, that stuff's going to come out. It's totally going to come out. And I. <sighs> That's like been that's been the Holy Grail for me as a kid, you know what I mean like I'm reading about oh, that yeah. over the
1: years and hearing about it, and there was a I re- I had this crazy theory that that um Jerry Lewis was more involved in life is beautiful than came out because there was like the e true Hollywood story about Jerry Lewis, and uh, I'm you know a peripheral fan in that it's not really my thing. I've seen enough of the movies to go okay i don't I'm not it's not my thing right right absolutely and um without going oh, it's crap no, I've watched a bunch mm mm-hmm. and uh, they talk about that movie very briefly and or maybe they don't I can't remember but there's a commercial for the DVD release of Life is Beautiful mm-hmm. but it had already been out and it was so ill-timed it was just so weird that that would be during that Jerry Lewis
3: yeah, that is little weird. mini bio yeah, and yeah, I'm like, like throwing hmm, it
1: in because it's, it's very similar to the whole concept
3: yeah absolutely and, then, and when Life is Beautiful came out people were like oh because <laughs> I feel like almost like at the time that Jerry tried to make that movie and get that movie made, it seems like you could still maybe do something like that. And then Life is Beautiful seemed like it was almost like mm-hmm. kind of sketchy and this faux pas, but obviously turned into this. Oh, yeah. You know, it's and it's good and it's a nice little sentimental movie. It's not perfect. I want to see Jerry's version. because Yeah, we'll see that. You know, eventually we'll but end up seeing But you know that's it.
1: going to be horrific.
3: Yeah, it's going to be really brutal. And at that point in time in in, in Lewis's career, it's, I mean, the movies are they're bad. Yeah, man. They're bad movies. The the days of, of, of the Ladies Man and the Nutty Professor and these like really mm-hmm. great strange Cinderella things like yep. that. That what was time one had where he been goes to Geisha Boy.
1: Geisha Boy. Geisha Boy, mm-hmm. uh
3: Rockabye Baby or whatever yep. things like that. Those movies, those times where he directed or Tashlin directed are they're fucking gone. And once he took over his career, especially in the 70s, I mean, a lot you see a lot of those like, those like crowning jewels of the studio system or whatever that were the 50s and 60s staples really have a bummer 70s. Sometimes come back in the 80s, King of Comedy, he was great in that oh, when, when he shows that. up. And, but he was second choice. Yeah. That's what's interesting. But... What a great choice. Oh, it's, Oh yeah, it's perfect. Perfect, you know why? Because he's a fucking asshole. Oh, completely. He's a total fucking asshole yes. and he's the perfect Jerry have you, Lewis. Have you,
1: have you ever heard the <clears throat> This is exactly what you thought this was no, going I thought to be. No, we were just talk about
0: Grindcore. and I was, just, I was like I hope Stephen <laughs> now it's like I've no idea what we're going to talk you, about. It, no, if if we could just good, talk about movies
3: good. for an hour, it's all I ever <laughs> like to talk about. I don't want to talk about fucking music or my shitty art. <laughs> Let's turn <laughs> around around talk about fucking movies. it's like he's heard the podcast. I
1: know, right? Okay, so um Wait, hold on. I had a great thought. No, it's gone, Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis. The oh 80s. yeah, yeah. Oh, have you heard? Have you ever heard the prank calls? No, I don't. Think oh, I, I have, have them. I, I could have thanks to iTunes Match. I have them on my phone now. Dude. There's um, a collection of celebrity voiceover outtakes. It's mm-hmm. where the Buddy Rich screaming tapes are. Okay. Okay. And uh, I'd been looking at f- for this compilation for years, and I found it when I was dead broke, living in California, and borrowed money from my girlfriend to buy. Because it it's like you don't understand how important this is.
3: Well, I gotta have this. And
1: yeah. it's it's um, there's an Drop outtake them. of. Dean Martin's and Jerry Lewis on doing a promo for The Caddy. Mm -hmm. Like, come watch The Caddy. Yeah. And then um, T. Martin goes, you hear that, you fucking shitheel? And Jerry's (laughs) like, yeah, you bastard, fuck you. And they just keep going. Yeah, It's hilarious. And then Jerry would do this thing in Las Vegas, I'm assuming in the 70s, where he would tell his assistant, if someone calls and says they know me, and you know they don't know me, put them through directly, but tell me I'm you. (laughs) So there's phone calls of Jerry Lewis going... Uh, you need me. You need me to get in touch with Jerry. Okay. All right. What's your name? And the guy would say his name, and he'd be like, you know, can you tell him to reach out to Evelyn Taylor? And You go. All right. Reach out to Ellen Taylor. No, 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 Evelyn. And he was <laughs> fuck with them. And there's like three or four of them on the set of him and his buddy just messing with people. Oh, just I fucking love to hear that. It's
3: wonderful. And that's the thing. It's like for me, like Lewis is always really great because he was the king of family entertainment. Even though if you look back on what he considered family <clears throat> entertainment, some of that stuff's pretty racy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know, even I mean. Obviously, things like the Lady Man, but the Patsy. There's a lot of like adult jokes. When he felt like, when when he was at Paramount, he, I felt like he was like the guy saying like family entertainment and oh, we don't want this like smutty stuff and blah 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 and blue material. But man, some of those movies are no, definitely is. hard PG. Where are you on the Marx <laughs> Brothers? Oh, I love the Marx Brothers, love it. What's your favorite
0: one? This will change everything for us. Oh, You've already made fun of Steven's favorite band, so I think you can redeem yourself.
1: There. Oh, no, that's
3: okay.
0: I love when people make fun of that.
3: I don't even, I, I, I can't pick.
1: You have to. I can't. Well, we're going to go backwards. It's not Love Happy. You know that. It's not Night in Casablanca. You fucking know that. You're if right. it's the big store, you're a pretty ballsy guy because that's MGM. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, if you stay with MGM, you're going to go with The Night at the Opera because that's what it should be, in my opinion. Or if you're going to go with everybody else, you're going to fucking say Duck Soup and then I'm going to say me. Duck
3: Soup and that's it. <laughs> that's the deal because...
1: <laughs> I've read the book it's, about Duck Soup. And,
3: it's uh, imp- duck Soup is important. It is the, it is the, it is the, it's the gateway to the Marx Brothers for anyone who I've ever shown anything to. And so I feel like almost to the fact that it's my favorite because I've seen it so much because every time, you know, it's like you're, you wanna, you want to, because everybody thinks of the Marx Brothers, they think of Lauren Harley, they think of any of that stuff from that time as like this corny old hat shit, dude, fuck you. Duck Soup is fast forward mania. I mean, it's a oh. mallet across the face yeah. over and over and over again. And while that's not necessarily what I love about them, it is something that uh, gives me a great comfort. It
1: is pristine. <laughs> you it, know? Is, it, is, it is wonderful. I, I lean towards the, the MGM 3. Mm-hmm. Those are my faves. Right. Just because I find Zeppo unnecessary, <laughs> but, you know, that works out. A duck soup, duck soup is always put up there, especially by the American Film Institute. Every year, it's always in like the top twenty.
3: Yeah, and it always it, because it's as it, it's also just like the most accessible, which is fine too mm-hmm. in this case. You know what I mean? Because it's just got everything you need. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? As far as their filmography goes, you know what I mean, and, and anything that you can even attach to them, minus things like fucking. Groucho's fucking appearance in Skadoo or whatever, right? <laughs> you know what I mean. Like you can discount that one, but yeah. everything else, you know what I mean. Like that's the one, and I guess like that's what I find. I find a great comfort in it because I feel like I've seen it a lot. It's like when people talk about the Disney movies, the early Disney movies. Mine's Pinocchio, even though it's not the greatest, because I saw it so much. What? Well, that's it's, that's a dark fucking film. It's also a dark film, and so I'm. You ever turned, gone back and that.
1: watch Pinocchio? No, I haven't. Oh, it'll really?
3: it'll horrify really? you. Got Netflix streaming right now. Yeah, it it's is. streaming. Go Just, do it. It is. Yeah. Yeah. A bummer and it's then if okay. you want a fucking real bummer. bummer
1: afterwards and a nice racist bummer go ahead and watch fucking dumbo after that Dumbo's pretty brutal too it's it's oh that and that'll i have i can never watch dumbo again because just you know where they lash the mother down and all that mm-hmm. i just remember as a kid is sobbing mm-hmm. and now i have kids and i'm like There's no fucking way they're watching this yeah I, uh
0: i watched finding nemo when i had food poisoning with my sister and i was like
3: crying oh yeah like
0: it, the beginning was oh crying. that
3: opening will kill you i was so upset but it's it's a different kind of upset what the, what early disney will show you and this is, even goes back to what i was saying about about lewis is is that kids entertainment used to be real fucked up <laughs> <Hell yeah. laughs> you know they had to actually in, they had to, uh, like install what they thought was kids entertainment and then let it get actually g-rated yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean I'll so you watch, watch water ship down man That'll... dude even that <sighs> brutal you know what I mean? Completely but completely brutal. That early Disney stuff is dark as fuck. I
1: remember it's my brutal. dad taking me to like, like some okay. really fucked up movies as a kid that don't even exist anymore. Like you can't like 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 the or like watch the Raggedy Ann and Andy movie. Some twisted acid trip shit that Was it like some
3: Don Bluth shit in the eighties? or? Know if it's
1: Don Blue. This is seventies. This is um it's almost uh Bakshi kind of shit. It's right.
3: Okay. Really
1: really creepy but it's like you know looking back on you're like oh i see where you know that cabaret punk started you know that that shebang. now so uh art is awesome and we're done what got you into movies
3: (laughs) i'm out i'm fucking out (laughs) um well
1: the in tampa because there's
3: well originally i'm from salem massachusetts Mm. and in salem i uh despite my wonderful personality that you guys are seeing now I hated other children and didn't get along with a lot of kids.
1: Is it because of their feelings about certain films?
3: Yeah, probably. So <laughs> as a kid, I just really was um, attracted to film. You know, At an early mm-hmm. age, I was like, even though I didn't understand the concept of it, I didn't want to go see the reissue of fucking Lady and the Tramp. I wanted to go to see Platoon and I was fucking like 11. You know what I mean? Yes. I was like a kid. You know, I wanted to see movies. I just was really excited by it. That that magic that everybody talks about with film that is hard to sometimes see now and especially in a world where you get to see the behind the scenes of everything you know how things are made and you care about celebrities that you shouldn't care about and things like that um that magic really attracted me as a kid and the form of it you know hit me even at an early age you know i was just hbo cinemax seeing r-rated movies seeing whatever i could see clockwork orange at an inappropriate age things like that and then so i don't know i just it's just what i like so i stayed in all the time As a kid, I just would leave school, go to the video store on the way home. My parents had fucking okayed it. I would just rent movies every day and just watch them and barely drew, read comics, kind of drew here and there. What comics? uh, geez, I was a Marvel kid. And then I always, and this must be, this was definitely something that I see as like a, uh, must be just like a model for my personality. I'd always try to find the other thing. So to me, the other thing was, sure, there's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I want to see the original stuff. I want to know about and then you could get into like kitchen sink press and things mm-hmm. like that and i started getting into that yeah, stuff man. a lot kitchen and being sink like
1: put out the uh at first they put out the crow compilation after caliber had it. yeah yeah
3: absolutely so okay. like i've got started getting into that stuff here and there um and then <clears throat> my interest in comics faded you know what i mean and you did know did you I, try
1: did you ever try to draw comics was that kind i of was
3: interested job? in it early early on um Actually, around 11, 12, I, was going to do, I wanted to do comics. Um, my aunt took me on this great trip to New York City at 13 from, from Boston or whatever to, to New York to go to Marvel Comics. I wanted to see 42nd Street at the time, you know, and at that time it's like 89. So 42nd Street is still,
2: mm-hmm.
3: there's a couple, you know, porno theaters and things like that. Obviously, I couldn't go see anything there, you know what I mean? But the Disneyfication of 42nd Street had started. Things were shutting down, but I, you know, I got pictures from... And I wanted to see 42nd Street. She only brought me during the day because at night it was still a fucking squirrel fest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's still a pretty brutal fucking spot. You know what I mean? Obviously far different than 42nd Street now. But we went to Marvel Comics and I was like very interested in that and I was very excited about that. And then, I don't know, I think maybe it was my attention span or whatever, but the, the I wasn't ready to put the work in that you have to be to be a great comic artist. And that's the other thing too is that there are not really actually great comic artists. There's not a whole bunch of them. And at that time, like, I saw people like John Byrne and, I mean, even to a certain extent, McFarlane or whatever. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And I was excited about their work, but I – there's something about it that – I don't know. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do – I wanted – I was clearly leaning more towards fine art. right? Like I saw – and maybe it was the influence of movies or what I liked about movies and things like that. But I was seeing, like, comic books in a different way and then I got disinterested in drawing comics and about really almost after my trip to Marvel and seeing, like – what it's like to be at a fucking drawing desk
1: can... there's a capacity for boredom that you need to yeah. draw comics
3: and i just i wasn't interested in, i didn't get interested in and in comics as a form until this recent kind of like art alternative boom of like people like picture box and stuff like that putting out really like matt brinkman and cf and all these like weird comics because to me like that was like that's real that's like art
1: mm-hmm.
3: not to say that if you're drawing fucking captain, Amer- captain america you're not making art because that's totally wrong you are Everybody's a fucking artist. Were you a Mobius fan at all? Huh?
1: Were you a Mobius fan at
3: all? No, I never caught on to that stuff. I always kind of saw that stuff as like what the older goth kids were into. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like my cousin who was into The Cure was into like that. You know what I mean? So I'd always see it and be like... Which to me ended up turning into things like Sandman. Yep. And in that kind of interest, I just never... Something about it like... I was only attracted to maybe line quality or certain things. Like with John Byrne, right? When he was doing Superman, he did X-Men, things Mm -hmm. like that. That work to me feels more like there's some sort of communication to like things like the way line quality is in looney tunes the way mm-hmm. he drew was like very shapely and very cartoony but still realistic and i think that's re- he was like my favorite yeah. and i think he had a lot to do with like what i loved about the looney tunes and the way comics like cartoons looked i'm so you know gonna I mean? ask
1: you if you were looney tunes or tom and jerry oh, looney tunes
3: <laughs> you get more variety
1: we're gonna we're, we see this is the this is my favorite kind of person that I disagree with but like
3: yeah
0: I know I can tell but, <laughs> but specific, I can tell but, if you don't like someone and you this, totally like
1: her. <laughs> uh, most people can, can tell, when tell I don't tell like someone me. it's horrible uh, but specific Looney Tunes Freeling or Chuck Jones
3: <laughs>
1: well it's a dick move I just did you mean. just really I pulled really it, it out no and actually it's funny because about. I've been
3: re I've been I've been, I've been re-watching a lot of this stuff because yeah. i got those blu-ray box sets i've yeah, been like pounding through them and being like really being you know getting excited again about stuff and you know i have these like dry spells and I go through phases with certain like anybody does the you guy know. who really started doing
1: uh bugs bunny and all that david duck was a guy named uh frizz freeling Can't okay. remember his real name that's what they call them and then uh throughout the time then you know different guys come in this guy named chuck jones came in the chuck jones stuff the duck season, wabbit season, those kind of things that we remember as kids. The Roadrunner, that's where it really took over in humor. And then meanwhile, on the other side, you have Tom and Jerry uh, done by, um, you know, Hanna-Barbera, and their stuff was awesome. You know, or Fred Quimby was another guy who did this stuff, and they only did a certain number and then stopped, and then everything switched, and Hanna-Barbera went over here and started doing weird flintstone type stuff I'm not mm-hmm. a fan of. And then Chuck Jones tried to do Tom and Jerry and failed miserably. And it's just this fascinating dichotomy about how one story, one type of artist can't do another person's characters, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But the Chuck Jones and Frizz Freeling stuff is such a weird split, man. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you've got, you know, Rabbit of Seville. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then you've got, you know, the later stuff, which is, like you're saying, a much finer drawn line too mm-hmm.
3: oh, and obviously at that point in time the i'm and this even goes back to i can go either way on 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 either on either phase and sometimes like what i really like in anybody's art whether it be a band or somebody's early directing career or the uh, legacy of something as i always like the early stuff to a certain degree because i like when people don't know what they're doing
2: yeah
3: it's always the best stuff any band that i have ever liked that was like a real band with four pieces and making shitty loud music. That's like a rock band. I usually only interested in the stuff when they were fumbling in the dark, because once you know what you're doing, eh, boring. But with the Looney Tunes, once they knew what they're doing, they could really mine. Most of the time, bands and things like that, they're not interested in fucking mining the strangeness or the weirdness or the pockets of like exciting kind of creativity. Not to say that that's not necessarily entirely true. And that's a really big generalization. But with the Looney Tunes... They really—you can get some really weird shit in there. So once it's greased up and fucking Jones is in there and he's doing—everything's oh, happening, yeah. there's some really great stuff. So both ends, really. Mm-hmm. I just like the Looney Tunes in general. Uh, that, uh, well, mine is Space Jam. The, oh God, That shit doesn't count. When, yeah, like, when everybody's dead, it doesn't count. Yeah. Speaking of the darker children's entertainment, where are you a Peanuts fan? Yes, but that's like sad kid stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? I really— I didn't really super pay attention to the peanut stuff and I didn't really realize its effect even in those like holiday fucking things and they understand the depression of it uh, really until, I don't know, like six or seven years ago.
1: It is the saddest shit. Yeah, Yeah.
3: it's sad kid stuff. You ever seen seen Three Nuts? No, I've never seen that. this
1: guy who kind of did what they did with garfield minus garfield uh, okay but yeah three nuts is just the first three panels
3: uh-huh. and it's even more depressing <laughs> that's amazing I only imagine yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah that garfield shit's amazing yeah, oh it's, it's wonderful. so good it's <laughs> the most one of the most fucking genius things ever that i, I look at the, the go, book for my
0: brother who's a big <gasps> garfield fan
3: it was like oh my god it's
0: yeah if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it you should it's so get the book good. get it's on it fucking so right good. now so
3: good um but with, um, with the peanuts, yeah, absolutely. But it, it really took me – now, that's not to say that I guess I really did understand the depression of peanuts and, and Charlie um, because I, I have a friend who I call my Charlie Brown and I've had – I've been calling her that for fucking 20 <laughs> – fucking 25 years. So I understood it but I didn't really grasp the re- – you because know, sometimes it's hard to look past the marketing of something. You like have to really be interested you know what I mean? Now, if I was on fucking the ground floor of Peanuts and I grew up with it and, you know, I was a fucking old man right now and you weren't talking to me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I would be like, man, Peanuts are fucking sick. If you
1: like that stuff where they know what they're doing, the, uh, Joan and I read really like the reissues where they're doing every single yeah, one. The yeah, the fanographics reissues. It started in 52. Yeah. And those other ones are great because yeah. Charlie Brown is a punk ass. And yeah. he doesn't talk. Nope.
3: And right. that's what I mean, looking back on that, when those started happening, mm-hmm. you know, I, I remember looking at them and really seeing them. And then, and then a couple years ago, the Blu-ray reissues of, uh, of the, the holiday things and looking at those again and being like, wow, this shit's a fucking bomber, dude. And it was exciting. But, uh, but in general, like, it's not part of like, I don't know, it's just, it didn't hit me. It's more like an observer's. Like excitement, you know what I mean. When I hear about it, and where we're talking about right now, clearly I'm like, yeah, it's fucking great. But I'm, I'm not gonna go home and fucking party with it or read it, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean, or like, or even consider uh, trying to steal Schultz's line or anything you know right. what I mean? or things like that, you know what I mean. So when
1: you say you gravitated more towards fine art, like who are some of your folks that you enjoyed looking at?
3: it's really funny. Like, um, like all little kids or all kids who are getting into art who maybe are and I use this really poorly, but are weird, you know what I mean? In some sort of way, because clearly I felt like I was different from other children and it was, it showed and how I reacted with them. And, of uh, uh, the public you know, you're personality, only child? huh? You're an only child. No, I have a fat little brother. Oh. Yeah, Chunk. I had to say that. huh? Yeah, yeah, I did. I have to embarrass him any chance I get. I Fair wouldn't enough. be a big brother. Fair enough. That's what you do. <laughs> I wouldn't be about destroying his fucking self-esteem publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> you know, if I didn't mention that he was a big porker, <laughs> so um, <laughs> he's been called Chunk for like 22 years, much to his chagrin. You know what I mean? Um, even if I use that word incorrectly, so. Um, did I say you are the exact
0: opposite of what I thought you would be? That's but. actually pretty funny because I feel like
3: that, I hear that a lot. And I think it's like, uh, and this even has, I don't know, I was trying to, I was trying to maybe describe this at some point and maybe in, an, in another interview, it's like, if you look at early, like the early combat work, you know what I mean? Things like that, um, you know, there's a lot of cartoony lines and a lot of cartoon kind of imagery, but with a strange darkness. And that, I feel like that's like a really great version of my personality even though i can't believe i just fucking said that um really animated but you know i probably want to kill both of you you know what i mean in an exciting way you know what i mean but you get a lot
1: of cannibal corpse fans who are six feet under maybe who like jerry lewis so that kind of that's real that's what you just say right there and that's
3: what that was that's
1: your byline yeah you are welcome
3: cannibal corpse and a big jerry lewis fan dude those first four cannibal corpse records are fucking great so um (laughs) So, <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking about? I don't Artists, know if I can remember. Artists, Artists. Artists uh, like all kids, kind of getting that. You know, I was I was attracted to surrealism mm-hmm. and things like that. Obviously, because even then, while it is like kind of almost sequential art, surreal, surrealism has like a sequential quality to it, like comic books. I was attracted to it because it was cinematic. Surrealism was the was a very cinematic art to me. You know what I mean? So, so did
1: you like? I mean, since you're a film guy, that take you back to like. You know, a Louis Bunuel shit? Yeah, you
3: know? yeah, yeah. And, and finding out about that stuff. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of really cool teachers early on, um, even in, in middle school and then going into the, the fine arts, like high school or whatever, um, who like, weren't allowed to tell you certain things, mm-hmm. but were definitely telling me things on the sly. Yeah. Like, oh, you like Warhol? Oh, well, you should see the Paul Morrissey movies that mm-hmm. Warhol had something to do with. I'm not supposed to tell you about bad or flesh. But I'm gonna tell you about Bad and Flesh and fucking Flesh for Frankenstein and Blood for Dracula. You should be looking at that stuff. You know what I mean? But like after the bell rang. You know what I mean? Like, and then, and then, and, and Bunuel and things like that. I'm kind of being like, oh, well, if you're interested in this the Spanish stuff, like Los Alredados. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
1: That's some, do you like, that's some dark shit, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's hardcore.
3: You know, and then great. obviously once he he makes it, big, some bigger continental splash, you have great stuff like Tristana and things yep. like that that are just like, looking oh, great. But Obscure that early stuff is desire. like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, know. you
1: would love this shit because it's like, everybody knows you're making a movie and they just do, there's one movie, I think it's Obscure Object of Desire where every character walks around carrying a bag of shit yeah, but you don't know it's a bag of shit, but they talk about it. Yeah. it's weird it's a it's great it's okay. cool, it's so.
3: definitely like and it's like you know, and he was obsessed with taking down like bourgeois like. Everything at that point in time, exterminating angel. From then on, really, he's there's an attack he did, on.
1: He did un- shen and andalu with Dolly,
3: with Dolly, and that's how that was my entry to him. You yeah. know what I mean? Because being like, and obviously being in Tampa, Saint Petersburg is not very far, and that's where the Dolly Museum is. Mm. You know, so I had access to that at a really early age too. So you get to see kind of weird stuff. And obviously, they did a lot of really cool screenings. I saw fucking Chelsea Girls there, like a fucking double projected fucking Chelsea Girls. Like I saw all kinds of rad stuff there because they have a great theater, and they would do rep screenings of old stuff so you'd see like these great old prints of things or 16 That's millimeter cool. prints you mm-hmm. know what I mean that are really rough um, so as far as like artists you know what I mean like that was, a, that was a big thing for me but it's almost like I was really attracted to what I knew about uh conceptual art or the idea of like not even fine art maybe but like what is considered to be uh inaccessible art by the, ma- of the ma- you know for the masses you know what I mean you try to tell somebody about Duchamp or something like that and they're like oh cool so what what does he do? He tips so a euro a, on its side. Yeah, he makes the yeah. money. So wait, that's the deal? Oh. And I was really attracted to that idea. You know what I mean? That stuff really excited me. You know what I mean? Conceptual art, even knowing about Richard Prince early on.
1: Are you a boss, like that. dude? Like the early shit? Not the band. No, I don't.
3: Uh, you know, I don't have a lot of access. to I mean, I haven't really looked at that stuff a lot. I know about it, and when I ever see something, and then I go, oh, what the fuck is this? Check out their architecture. It's really weird. They have a whole thing about how
1: to make a chair, which is fascinating. Yeah, dude. I'd and love then I to talked to that. an architect one time, and I asked him that. I went, isn't it a chair? And he went, the hardest fucking thing to make. <laughs> and this guy who designs buildings. And I went, really? He went, yeah. It's like part of the thing you go through as an architect, how to make a damn chair. And it's
2: art.
3: It's, yeah. I yeah. Mean,
1: Love that shit.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I I have to look at that stuff. Yeah. You know, what I mean, I I I, I never li- I've never really seen like a great like retrospective of it. I mean, I know there's books there's I've a looked at books in
1: Berlin. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kandinsky, you know, was a teacher there.
3: Yeah,
0: that kind of shite dude. I gotta look at it. um Do you mind if I change change
3: gears a little bit? Sure, yeah. of course.
0: Um, I mean, I no, really- fuck you. <laughs> no. I personally was just kind of curious. My podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I was curious. I feel like Against Me has changed so much sort of musically, member-wise, start to finish. But I feel like the aesthetic, your aesthetic has kind of stayed a constant with them. I was curious how maybe you and Laura sort of hooked up and how that kind of relationship works artistically. Okay.
3: Well, we're both big, crass fans. Okay. And one of our earliest conversations was about G Voucher and in her, in her involvement with Crass and kind of this the sixth member of the band almost, even though fucking Crass has like 19 people on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or had 19 people in it or whatever the fuck, you know, living on the fucking farm or whatever the fuck they did. Um, and so that that was a huge influence. And I also, you know, coming in and looking at like Pushead with Metallica and things like that, that was another great example. Um, you know, we uh, we talked about that early on um, how we got together was, was that, uh, <laughs> was VAR at No Idea thought it'd be really funny to hire me to do a 7-inch. That's really how it started. Like I said, I wasn't a fan. And that's actually funny because when I was in Combat Wounded Veteran and in Combat and Reversal did a tour in 1999, I played Baltimore. And at that time, there was a kid named Jordan, Jordan, who went on to become, their tour manager and they're basically running all their fucking business, and the guy really, Gable's right hand man. Okay, you know what I mean, yeah, like yeah. Jordan at that time was a was a sweaty little fucking like crust punk. You know what I mean with dreadlocks and everything, he and we rolled the into town. He had. Lots of other things going on. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of it, like butt flaps and really? unne- unnecessarily. Fu- yeah. My favorite. Wow. So, anyways, so we run into That's Jordan. Like Jordan. And at that point in time, Jordan is a very extremely nice kid. And, Jordan, if you're listening to this, which I don't know why you would or wouldn't, who knows? Um, but. Uh, I apologize for what I'm about to say. But at this point in time, Jordan was a fu- – he became a punchline for our whole entire tour. He became a character after we played Baltimore. And Jordan is an extremely nice guy. And yes, it is. he It's ridiculous. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, the abuse that he can take at the hands of all kinds of sarcastic people is amazing. And he's a very nice guy, and I, I truly love him dearly. Um, but at that time, he was a sweaty little fucking crust punk kid. And we were like, look at this fucking nerd, dude. You know, we loved his record collection. Because even though we were like a bunch of like kind of like metally hardcore kids, man, he had the sickest fucking crass records collection, Peace Punk collection, Flux of Pink Indians fucking records, Mob 47, like original pressings, like real amazing stuff that we were all like, whoa this nerd's got all kinds of shit, dude. And there's this great quote where he told me about how he had the biggest peace punk collection in all of Baltimore. And I was like, that's actually not really anything you should be. (laughs) (laughs) That <laughs> excited because you're in fucking Baltimore, but anyways, regardless, that's that's awesome. So he's um he's a really great guy, and he became like this kind of. And I do impersonations of him for years. I did all these like we would joke. I remember Jordan. We watched Cannibal Holocaust in his basement. He was bummed. We were looking for the Starbucks. He wanted to take us to some fucking like mom and pop place. We were like, fuck you, dude. We want to, go to Starbucks. Like total assholes to him, and uh, he became this punchline and this great joke about tour. This anecdote. Oh yeah, and then we were in Baltimore and Jordan. Nah, but he had just done the. Um, against me, twelve inch, like the demo twelve inch or whatever, with that amazing cover art. My eyes are rolling for anyone who cannot see them. <laughs> um, and I remember picking it up, and I I was kind of familiar from working like a record store in Tampa and, and running shows and stuff like that of this this kid and his friend with the buckets. You know what I mean? And I couldn't I couldn't deal. I couldn't even equate because I saw it as like this this hippie punk that was awful. You know what I mean? And, you know, looking back on it, maybe I was wrong and maybe I was right, but but at the time I was like, well, whatever, dude, against me, 12-inch, you're a fucking nerd, I don't care about this kid, because he asked if I knew Tom at the time, who's obviously now Laura, um, and I was like, yeah, no. Uh, (laughs) Oh, fucking nerds like that shit, dude. Kids who live in fucking Sarasota and go to New College, which is like a, you know, like a like the kind of place where you're like, I'm gonna um get my uh get my fucking whatever, my do my graduate program on fucking making straw baskets. You know, it's like that kind of college where you can kind of make your own curriculum. And those are the kids that liked against me, very like NPR, left wingy kind of like. I'm probably going to sound like... But a, they had I mean, sort of a following at this They had point? a following. They okay. started to have a following, for sure. Because Tom... Or Laura, obviously. But Tom, at that point in time, is a very charismatic performer and was, as a pre-all-black wearing flannel with the plugs in his ears. You know what I mean? Right, kind of right. like a kid. You know what I mean? He is a great performer because he really... And she really puts everything into it. You know what I mean? So... At that time, you know what I mean. I was like, Bleh. and then I never really paid attention to it. And then they started becoming really big, forming a full band, releasing fucking Axl Rose. And when Var did that, I was like, oh, "What, a, dude? You're a nerd. You'll release anything, dude. You'll really this is off, dude. Are you kidding me?" And uh, and then I just didn't pay attention to it. And then I remember friends of mine, like like uh, I don't know if you uh, guys know Pat from D Four and things like Dillinger Four. Um, you know, he would ask me, like, having a conversation, be like, so what's, what's this against me? And I was like, oh, fucking no, dude. Everybody loves him all of a sudden, though. You know what I mean? And then, flash forward to whatever, fucking 2005, when I started working with him, Var was like, this is going to be really funny, because I probably talked a ton of shit to Var. You know, just like, <laughs> whatever, dude. <laughs> I don't know why you like all this garbage you put out. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, Including my bands. <laughs> and, uh, and then he just said you know, why don't you try something? Let's do something. I'm doing a seven inch. They just signed a fucking fat, whatever. (coughs) And then I did, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's two gingerbread men fighting. And if you open the seven inch, it's a bunch of candy shooting out. And I I don't know. I didn't think they were going to go for it. It was one of those things. And sometimes I do this with bands where I just make whatever the fuck I want. I don't give a fuck what they sound like. I don't care who they are. It's whatever I want to do at that point in time. And I submit it and I'm like, they're not going to go for it. I'm gonna be able to use this for somebody else like one of my own shitty bands and and you know Tom at the time was like I love it let's do it and I was like R- really oh, fuck <laughs> oh oh alright and then obviously right at that point in time is where like the real fucking like they became huge you know mm-hmm. they were everywhere the you know Jake had done Berghardt had done the documentary and the you know everything was kind of happening and it was right before Warner you know it was like clarity time you know yep. <laughs> And, um, and, and at the time, Laura and I just, we clicked. I think it was just personalities. You know what I mean? Just too loud, sarcastic, kind of mean, aggravated, don't really like our fans kind of fucking people. You know what I mean? Like, which Laura does like her fans. But you hate yours. Oh, <laughs> dude, gross dude. I don't I don't even know why I'm here. Um <laughs> so <laughs> so at that time we had conversations really early on about the consistency of a look mm. of a band, how that's important. And I call it aesthetic legacy. And how it's like even if I was going to only work on one record, it's always important and I pitch this to every single band I work with that your People should be able to look at your back at your fucking discography and know a certain point in time. You know what I mean through the art, because really that's that's what you're flipping through. Right. You know what I mean, or you're fucking looking online. And so I always pitch this thing, aesthetic legacy. If I'm going to do your record, I'm going to do everything that revolves around your record. If you want to hire your friend to do a couple t-shirts, whatever bullshit, but I will. I would like to be involved from the LP all the way to the fucking end of the touring cycle, so that a puts money in my bank account but b you know it's cool as far as like an art thing goes that you're you you had this consistency you know what i mean and so that was like one of the first bands i really did that with minus all the crappy bands i was in and and it just kind of worked and i think we became friends and you know we like a lot of the same things and we like a lot of the old same old records and and then As far as that scene goes, I mean, to me, they're really like a, they're they're an important band, but they're a band that's so uh, out of the pack of the, the the Hot Water Music's and the Off with Your Heads and the bands that they get they get lumped into and the fucking Gaslight Anthems and uh, <laughs> yeah and so oh, drop something. <laughs> and, You're uh, killing Steven in an amazing way. <laughs> so they really are a band that really sets themselves apart and that's something that really attracted me to working with them. we're dying over here so trying to come back from my shit talking so don't
0: um, don't ever do it
3: Real back (laughs) whatever dude I hate the gaslight anthem um there we go podcast that um although I did almost work with them once but that's beside the point so um so I think like it was I started to see that and I could understand that even though I dislike all of that music Truly, you know, I mean, I can rate what I think is the good stuff. And I always kind of say this about bands. It's like if I believe their record collection, you know, then I can probably buy their, their band even if I don't like them or I can understand their band and, and respect where they're coming from. And I think just early on, I always say to myself, oh, yeah, I just I, I believed Laura's record collection. But what's interesting too is I feel like Heather really had that relationship with alkaline trio exactly that's another thing too It's like Heather was in the same same spot you know what I mean where she was really kind of doing this thing and really creating this this really a kind of amazing set of artwork this this legacy for a band you know what I mean that you know they've kind of taken it off the rails here and there with crappy record covers with hearts and pills in them and right, things like right. that you know what I mean but whatever but heather's dyed in the wool stuff the real fan stuff is fucking great and she was doing a really cool thing at the same time and which is why her and i clicked when when laura and her started to get together you know early on you know what i mean and i was like when they actually i first met heather when they were on that alkaline trio tour and i was like oh you do the same thing i do i get it that's cool because i didn't have a lot of i collect peers but I don't have a lot of friends that are peers. Like, I, I really, like, pay attention to a lot of punk artists. And I try to, like, if I see somebody doing something really cool that's a little bit younger or somebody who's I consider a peer, I'm always, like, a fan mail machine, especially when it's rad. You know, you what, know? what I mean? And I'm always like, yo, 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 I love your shit. Oh, my God. Blah, oh, blah, blah. And I blow them up. And I try to fucking promote them in every single stupid interview I do. Everything. Who so, now? Right now, my favorite person working right now is this kid. He lives in Cleveland, I think, or Cincinnati, Ohio. He just graduated like art college and his name is Elijah Funk. And he makes the fucking weirdest Xeroxy, just real kitchen sink kind of artwork. You know what I mean? Just like all over the place and weird and just, he hasn't done work for any bands. I think he's in a couple like real, just like post piss jeans, kind of like sloppy art punk bands. You know what I mean? Like, but his stuff right now, every time I see it, I'm like, what am I even doing? you know what I mean like why am I even wasting my fucking time this kid with a Xerox <clears throat> machine doing fucking nothing is fucking killing things so he's my favorite right now I always I try to chat him up I try to get him work you know what I mean I try to do everything I can because he's really awesome and you know what I mean I, I don't think he's I think he's more of a fine art kind of kid doing like weird just kind of like out there fucking Dada stuff you know what I mean how does it work Tada.
1: Um, <laughs> how does it work with bands when you know you have the relationship and you want to work on their entire album tour cycle with the art, like, how does the license work?
3: I mean, I just sell it to them. I mean, that's really, really what it is. Outright? They, bu- they buy it outright. You know what I mean? But I you don't keep really, the original. I keep the original, and I'm never going to do anything with it other than maybe it'll end up in a book someday if books right. still exist in 20 mm-hmm. years and somebody remembers mm-hmm. who I am. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? After you're, I've you're retired or something, you know? Are you a Coop fan at all? <clears throat> no. Mm-hmm. Yes, because skill-wise... Mm-hmm. I always look at things in two ways. Mm -hmm. It's really super important for me. I look at things like in a professional way and I look at the work and I look at it technically and I look at what they can do and then there's the personal stuff. Mm -hmm. Like the Lord of the Rings movies. I fucking hate Wizards and Dragons but man, those movies are a labor of love and they're really intense and amazing. That's like one of my best examples. And I'm a Peter Jackson fan in general in the old days up until Heavenly Creatures. Meet the Feebles? Love, Meet the Feebles. That stuff was huge for me as a kid too. You could probably say that that had an influence on the goofy work that I would do with bands early on. You know what I mean? Like comedic horrific, but not too broad comedy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But still strange puppets enough. Puppets with dicks. Yeah, puppets with dicks and <clears throat> aliens coming from out of space to get fucking, like, people for their fast food restaurants and, you know, fucking Dead Alive and Before the Zombie Boom happened yeah. and, you know what I mean? Um, but anyway, so Coop for me is the kind of cat who, he makes work that is so well done. I mean, it's flawless. And he's got that fucking imagery down. The problem is, the imagery is stupid to me. Devil girls, greaser shit, fucking mm. Big Daddy Ed Roth stuff. Kill yourself, dude. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't be less interested in that mm-hmm. personally. Right. You know, but boy, and in his in his day, I mean, he took the '90s by storm. You know what I mean? Him mm. and Kozik. Those are the those are the guys when it came to the alternative boom. Kozik would do that, and well, they also
1: branched out into. Uh, the vinyl toys. Have you done that?
3: Brilliant. No, I have never done that. Puss head, pus head too. Yeah, Pusshead head too. But the difference between what I do and what those guys do is that I jump around a lot. And I don't really have like a style. Maybe you look at something you might know I did it like you thought I did off at their head record. or Yes. Whatever. There's a style that's present, but I don't have something that i feel like sometimes it's hard to market. it's like hard to market yeah we're gonna do a steak mountain toy it's like what are we what am i really gonna do i mean because i kind of move around so much that i don't Mm -hmm. i'm not a cartoonist i'm not like horse bites i'm not like richard menino who has a style and he draws a certain way and you know it's dick you know what i mean like like i'm doing all kinds of weird things i'm doing collage stuff here and maybe i'm drawing here and i'm so i never really ended up doing i would love i would love to have done it and var at no idea who's a huge toy collector his house is ridiculous in Gainesville, two stories. He has a one one room filled with toys that he's been collecting since he was a fucking kid. They have a life size Darth Maul from when fucking Phantom Menace came out. Or That's whatever. unfortunate. I agree, but the fact that he's got it, yeah, if and it the fact Legos that he I'd be into it. More. No, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> but he traded like less than Jake fucking uh, like test pressings to some fool in japan and they sent it to him you know what i mean like
1: that's a toy guy vinny from less than jake
3: yeah right Uh. and vinny vinny too you know what i mean like nuts toy nuts you know what i mean and i always think that they're really cool and kozik and coop and a couple of those guys at that point in time branching out into Biscup and things like that Mm -hmm. like those were smart moves on their half because that made them buku dollars too you know and, and bolstered their Kind of their place in, in that kind of world, that juxtaposed world. Well,
1: I collected, I had for a while. I'm only missing like one or two just because I was very specific. All the pushead bear bricks. I I, I feel like
3: I've, I'm remembering them now, but I don't really remember. He made what they one look that
1: like. literally came with a t shirt of, of, and it's this little toy bear, and he just fucked with it and made it basically, you know, a bear that had killed other bears and stapled different skins on its face, and the shirt came with it. And my wife was like, that's the most hideous thing ever. Don't wear that that's ever. Amazing. <laughs> And see, uh, you I, want it i'll give it to
3: you uh, uh, is it black oh yeah but it's got something on it you yeah. see i wouldn't wear it okay. um, <laughs> no, logos. <laughs> no logos no logos no logos since i was in like a hot fucking grindcore band um, <laughs> i just especially my own except for this crappy bag i'm carrying around um so um i don't know what we were talking about so yeah uh, things like kozik coop Kozik's work actually isn't very good. Even his line quality is bad, and technically, it's more of a time and place thing for him. And Mm -hmm. just throwing shit in a blender, and it ended up on a fucking poster. And then he, by virtue of being larger than life or whatever the fuck he's like, he he really got his place in the world. He's not a great artist, but he's a great manipulator, and that's really important too. I mean, if you're a great manipulator and you just happen to be an artist, man, you can work that shit out all day long, man. You know what I mean? Like that's really great. You're not a work system. English? You a fan of his? english is another guy basically here's the deal anything that came out that gets associated with juxtapose i'm not really that interested in <laughs> you know what i mean but again they're truly great artists yeah uh, terry mcpherson mm-hmm. coop kozik ron english i mean right. woo, english can paint like fucking nobody's business yeah. but Mar- fucking Marilyn monroe with mickey mouse boobs i'm out dude <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm just i'm out i look at it and go yeah all right um so where's uh, <coughs> the fucking urinal knocked over? Because that's what I'm interested in. You know what I mean? Like so, and I kind of look at that work and I think, yeah, yeah all right. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I I just never really hit me. You know, and like I feel like that's just another world that gets like i like i i don't i i don't even belong in it as an artist you know what i mean you know so i kind of look at it even being associated with it to a certain degree by what i do and things like that i look at i'm like "Ah." what about when people are like check out my steak mountain tattoo i feel bad that they have to live with me forever (laughs) until they die yeah Mm -hmm. you know like that's amazing that somebody would ever even do that but then it has nothing to do with me it's not stake mm-hmm. mountain tattoo it's an against me tattoo mm-hmm. or a fake problems tattoo with Derek hess or uh, well that's I, that, don't even, I don't even i don't even rate hess because it just that really reminds me too of like a certain time in the 90s and i just look at hess's work and i'm like cool man so you can sketch that's killer bro well that <laughs> it's an it's a, that's an interesting concept though because uh i used to work
0: in the same office as Derek and mm-hmm. uh he does have there's a fine line between having a distinctive style and then sort of being like, "This is all kind of looks the same to me." Right? Like it, it's like you sort of need to do that in a way to establish a style, but then if you do it too much, then it turns people off. So sure. that is a really tough dichotomy. I think as an artist,
3: it is. And and I said this. Um, I said this. Maybe I said this to my wife recently too. Um, uh, was uh, that it's like, man, if you can, if you can be buff monster and draw what you draw and you can get away with it and you make fucking rent and you travel the world dude i'm never going to look down on you ever that's amazing am i interested in doing that no because i think my mind moves too fast and and maybe if something actually caught on this conversation could be different but everything i do i try to move as fast as i can try to different things and things like that so i don't i feel like i don't have like a style like that could take off almost or maybe it just hasn't taken off um, yeah, but I think that everyone who can do that is fucking lucky. You know what I mean? Like that's that's amazing. You know what I mean? Like even like looking at somebody like uh from that world like fucking Knucklehead who had the fucking Teacher's Pet uh TV show on fucking Disney or whatever. Gary Gary Baseman. You know what I mean? Have you seen sure. Yeah, Baseman's work? No. He he comes from that world, like okay. like Biscup and all those guys. You wanna talk about the really the greatest artist of that group though, those the elder statesmen of the juxtaposed mm-hmm. world? Biscup is the king to me. And I actually truly like his work rather than just kinda of look at it and go, Yeah, man, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? I look at Biscup's work and like that's insane to me. And he's constantly moving too, but he's got so he's got a style that is recognizable and he's been able to make work and experiment with. And you I think, think that's that,
1: cool. You think that your like your love of film and you know it sounds like you know, the, the filmmakers you like are, you know, a- auteurs and have a consistent theme throughout, but it sounds like in your art, you don't.
3: I don't because I, I move around and I actually always consider myself more in line with there's this filmmaker and he was a Spanish filmmaker. He's kind of a cult filmmaker, a cult figure um, named Jess Franco who worked in Spain early on, and then because of the Franco rule, you know, like the Generalismo Franco, he left because he was making kind of sexy, kind of horror pictures, and you couldn't do that. Mm. So he wanted to kind of move out of uh, Spain, and he went to France, and he made movies all over the place. Before he he passed away last year, he had made uh, something like 150 movies of all kinds of different varying styles. There is a consistency, and there's a consistency even through my work as well, of this sort of, like, viewpoint, but I always consider myself, like, that's my role model, is this guy who moved around a whole bunch, did what he wanted, made shit, like, he would be making one film, and then be making a second film without anybody knowing, and then he'd have two vampire movies, you know what I mean? Or he'd have two porno movies, you know what I mean? And so, like, I always think, like, he's, to me, he's my work role model, almost. He was like this, just guy who did whatever the fuck he wanted, and he moved around, he had, you could, like, you could always tell, when you watch a Jess Franco movie, you're like, he has a lot of zooms and this is edited really bad and that's a franco movie even his name isn't on it one of his like 80 pseudonyms is on it you know what i mean so you know i always kind of i always kind of think of that so sure a lot of the people that i love that are auteurs and we haven't even really like i mean to me like Buñuel and lewis and things like that those aren't, aren't even like my favorite filmmakers you know what i mean like they're well lewis is but but you know what I mean? But everybody we've talked about so far, like, for me, like, uh, <clears throat> Jess Franco, uh, this French guy named Jean Roland, who made, like, these really, like, poetic, surreal, like, vampire films in the 70s in France. I mean, those are the guys that I looked to. Mario Bava in, the, in Italy in the, mm-hmm. in the 60s. Kind of, uh, when you watch those uh, Corman Poe movies with Vincent right. Price, mm-hmm. Corman kind of stole that colorful style from Bava. Hmm. You know what I mean? Bava really was the gothic horror champion. His movie Black Sunday, which is like his first movie. Yo, if you ever want to see a great fucking 60s horror film, that is the great 60s horror film to watch. Not late fucking, not late 60s things like that but that just that died in the wool I'm watching it on Saturday morning with my fucking you know with my serial fucking monster vision whatever fucking like you know creature double feature that's the film you know it's this great kind of vampire movie that's like not really a vampire movie but those are guys who really influences me I don't actually have very many art influences I have more film influences on my art
1: you like your Mondo Kane dude do you like that kind of stuff yeah
3: all that, that uh, fucking Jocko Prospetti and all that mm. stuff not a whole bunch unless you start getting into Goodbye, Uncle Tom, which I don't know if you've ever seen, mm. if you want to watch one of the most offensive, mean-spirited, totally wrong-headed 70s fucking movies, watch Goodbye, Uncle Tom. That movie Drive that came out a couple years ago mm. with fucking good-looking Ryan Gosling. Yes. Did Sorry, you
1: see it? No, but he's very
3: sexy. Yes, he He's really pretty I, awesome. I saw it. Okay, so the scene where he's got the rubber mask on and there's that weird that weird song that doesn't make any fucking sense in the whole entire movie is the theme music from Goodbye, Uncle Tom. He aped it. I love that because I thought to myself, man, people might look that up and then they're going to watch Goodbye Uncle Tom. And this is one of the greatest fucking jokes in a movie I've ever seen in my life. Because as a kid, you know what I mean? As a kid, if I would have saw that, I would have been like, what's that song? And I would have looked it up and I would have yeah. did my fucking due diligence and I would have figured out that it came from some of this movie, this movie that is a fake documentary, very similar to how Mondo Kane is. Mm-hmm. By the name I'm saying, you, clearly it's called Goodbye Uncle Tom, so you probably know where this is heading. <laughs> it is a documentary where a, an Italian film crew go back in time to the southern plantations to show you about slavery. Now, this is not 12 Years a Slave or fucking Django and dude. This is raw dog, mean-spirited, really wrong-headed, super racist stuff. That you watch and you just can't even, you're like, how the fuck did this get made? <laughs> Even in the 70s where you could get away with a lot of weird, dumb shit, even in the grand international scope where you could just get money for anything, you know what I mean? Goodbye Uncle Tom is one of those movies that you just – I can't ever figure out how the fuck it got made. And it's an endurance test almost in in offensiveness. Now, I'm talking it up, but usually when I talk something up like this, I promise you that it will offend you and that it is so slimy and makes you feel – it's like shower time after. You're gonna be just like a fair Fawcett shower in extremities or burning bed or whatever the fucking gross weird rape movie she was in. You're just gonna feel awful after. Awful. So I highly recommend everybody watch it. I'm a huge goodbye uncle Tom fan. Mentioning that publicly probably sounds like I'm a some sort of squirrel, but um, but it's really kind of one of those films. So the, but they they made Mondo Kane, you yes. know, like those guys made Mondo Kane and you know, and this was kind of one of the last movies they made in that cycle of like Fake documentaries, you know what I mean? Fucking whatever, all those weird Africa blood and guts and mm-hmm. Mondo Cain and Mondo Cane 2 and whatever other fucking dumb shit they made. But Goodbye Uncle Tom is the one where you're, and it's on legit DVD. You can buy it a fucking, you buy it on Amazon. It's not like you're buying some bootleg. It's a beautiful widescreen copy that you're like, man. <sighs> As a kid, buying a bootleg of it, I never thought I would actually have a beautiful copy of one of the most offensive movies of all time. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the joy of technology and DVD? You know what I mean? And the and the want of all these and like, they package a, it in the Song of the South logo, right? Dude, That's how they do it. How fucking embarrassingly ridiculous would that be? Um, Song of the South. That's a good one too. You can find that. Yeah, you can find it. That's pretty pretty though. easily. Um, but it got legit released like somewhere in like Brazil or something weird, so you can actually oh, get a yeah? DVD of it. I heard they're going to release it at some point.
1: They have to do something. They What's started that song of the South? <clears throat> it's um this really, it's a, it's a weird Disney film. that got it's it's very racist. It's very yeah. It's very Jim Crow. It's very um uh. It's like it's all it's all these African myth stories that got transposed when people were enslaved and brought mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. and um like the story of Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Bear, you've seen, you you know these, you know the Disney characters, and it's, you know, um, the rabbit's going to distract the bear by making a tar baby. No, no, distract the fox by making a tar baby and having him get all stuck in it. And these are all old African myths, but Disney did it, and they had this guy singing it um, called Uncle Remus, and Uncle Remus sang this hit song, Zippity doo dah That's where it comes from. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And you can't, there's no copy, you can't, Buy it here legally. You have to buy like bootlegs. Yeah, opposite. you buy
3: bootlegs and things like that because it's, it's obviously like it's a,
1: very racist. Yeah,
3: it's definitely of a time. But yeah. but Disney and all those people they've released things recently that were squirrely, were sketchy. Like at the time mm-hmm. that they've had like Leonard Malton's talking in front of being like at the time oh, racial so did, stereotypes. So they could do that with Song of the South. Oh, so did Tom and I'm a
1: big Tom and Jerry fan. I have all the spotlight. The yeah, ones yeah, that yeah. were restored, mm-hmm. like um you know Jerry getting angry and sig Tom, because he's being an asshole. Like yep. stuff they sh- snuck back in and they yeah. talk about it at the very beginning. They say, this wasn't cool then. It's not cool now. Mm-hmm. But to take it out uh, is wrong for the art.
3: Yeah, absolutely. For yeah. the historical context. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? And it's very interesting to see that stuff. And you know I mean? You don't want to. I want to know about how terrible mm-hmm. people used to be. Look at the old, <laughs> look at
1: the old <laughs> Disney World War II cartoons. Yeah. Some oh, fucked up yeah shit. Dude. <laughs> it's wrong.
3: It's real fucking.
1: Bucktooth Japanese. But you're know, just going to say Bucktooth oh, Japanese.
3: It's awful. fucking crazy stuff, dude. And it's, but it's also like interesting <clears throat> to see. You know, you're just like, man. Whew. And then
1: you can look at it, as you <sighs> say, from an artistic perspective and go, that animation is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> wow, they did a really
3: amazing job with that Bucktooth Japanese guy. <sighs> what the fuck? Yeah. You know what <laughs> I mean? So it's pretty amazing stuff. But that being said, and I always <laughs> feel like I get I get really roped into this because I talk about a lot. Like, I'm not like some big horror movie nerd. Or anything like that, and like that kind of stuff. Even though it, the work, the steak work, is occasionally dark or whatever, there's guts and limbs and stupid shit. Like I, I don't like modern horror films as, as usually. You, you know open I mean? with Jerry Lewis, dude. We know who you are. Okay, good. I always want to because I, because I get. You know, people are like, "Man, I saw the sickest movie, dude." Bleh. I'm like, I don't actually I don't care. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I actually want to watch what fucking fucking museum hours or something. You know, I, mean? I want to watch some fucking boring shit, dude. That where people talk too much. That's what I'm interested in. <laughs> you know what <laughs> what I mean? But my influences, you know what I mean, and what I look to, you know what I mean, for the stake work is like, like I said, just Franco, Jean Roland. There's this great Japanese movie uh, called Houseu. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I highly recommend it. There was a point years and years ago where I'd had this book of old Japanese. It was like reviews of Japanese films. And this was probably like 12 or 13 years ago now by this guy named Tom Weiser. He ran a bootleg company in Miami called Video Search in Miami. And he wrote about this movie called Howzoo about a a haunted house movie with a bunch of Japanese girls from 1977. He described it as like Dario Argento meets Tim Burton. And I thought as a 13-year-old or 14-year-old reading this book or whatever, I was like, what? That sounds great. You know what I mean? Um, and I spent years trying to find a bootleg copy of it, and I did. And it's really great, but recently, Criterion put it out a couple years ago. And it was kind of like a big cult hit. They did like a midnight circuit with it. But I highly recommend. It's on Hulu fucking streaming. It's called How Sue. And for me, as a as a as someone looking at just Steak Mountain without knowing that I do Steak Mountain, to me, I always kind of feel like that's one of the greatest... I look at that and I think, man, if Steak Mountain made a movie, that's the Steak Mountain movie. You know what I mean? There are not many movies like that so I look at that and I get really excited. You know what I mean? Even early on when I saw bootlegs of it and then finally had a beautiful copy of it, I was like, oh, that's what that looks like. You know what I mean? Because you're watching like 8th generation fucking bootleg tapes. But Hosu, I highly recommend that. But regardless, I just like boring movies. You know what I mean? And that's really what I truly like. My top 10 list from last year is all just fucking sleep sleepy time shit. You know what I mean? So... Um, but yeah, I always want to... It's out there now. I like boring shit. I don't like horror movies. I don't like Saw. I don't like Hostel. I can barely register <laughs> with Eli Roth. Although I'm interested in this new thing, his weird cannibal adventure thing that comes out. It's called, like, The Green Inferno. And it's supposed to be, like, Kind of influenced by Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal ferox that like weird cannibal boom of, in Italy in the 80s. And it's like about a bunch of fucking do gooders, Greenpeace do gooders who fucking crash in the fucking jungle and then they get eaten by a bunch of cannibals. And so that comes I back. Out I, like,
1: back that. I back parts of that.
3: I back parts of that. I, I back eating Greenpeace people. They probably mm-hmm. taste good. They take care of themselves. Yeah.
1: yeah. You know what I mean? So, a lot of
3: fiber. Yeah. A lot of fiber. Mm-hmm. A lot of fiber. And, and probably like one of those things like if you're a person um, in the jungle and you eat people, you might also. Also believe that you're consuming their soul and so you're cons- you're consuming the soul of people who think that they're doing good and that's exciting so you're probably making yourself feel better you know what i mean it's like a, on top of the fiber you're getting good vibes from these fucking these Greenpeace people you're eating you know what i mean so um if ever so there was
1: an epitaph for a steak mountain i think that would be it
3: that's that's good that's good let's hurry up and kill me
1: That was Leslie West from Mountain. Here, I'm sorry. Was that the wrong? Oh, the wrong, wrong mountain. That sorry. was
0: Chris Norris, aka Steak Mountain, getting medium rare. Here's why I'm pissed. Not because of everything he said, but because I read a wonderful
1: Q and A uh, from Noisy, the uh, wonderful Noisy website, uh, music arm of Vice. I think it was Noisy UK talking with him about his art, and I had no idea he's directed porn.
0: Yeah, you. You think that that would have
1: come up? Yeah, we're gonna have to get him back.
0: God damn it! We can get him back. He he lives right by me. Um. Uh. Yeah, I didn't know that either. To you, sent me that link. I have some questions. Yeah, I like how. Where do
2: babies come from?
1: Here's the thing about where babies (laughs) come from: is it's that you know. You guys both
0: have babies, so I feel (laughs) like that's the
1: thing we don't know.
0: (laughs) I came home. God, I hope that doesn't happen to me. (laughs) It sounds like my nightmare. Mm -hmm. Like, what is this thing? (laughs) What? I can't sleep for five years? Like, are you serious?
1: (laughs) Five years. Ever. Ever? (laughs)
0: Ever. (laughs) I have this thing I always need to worry about in addition to all the other things I always worry about that aren't important. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean,
1: (laughs) I I think you think you're more neurotic than you are, but I can't even imagine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I I, I don't know. I can't.
1: You know, I had this
2: revelation
0: about about kids.
2: About, like, you know, there's this discussion... When you have children in the, in New York, it means that you're over forty. Oh
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: for real. I honestly don't know anybody under fucking like, well, yeah, or mid thirties, whatever. It's just it's just the way it is here. People have interesting lives; they don't have time to have kids. From my experience, and from my direct relationships with my relatives in other parts of the country, you don't have kids past thirty. You you have kids at 18, 19, 20, whatever. And so there's always been this, like, you know, especially among New Yorkers, like, would it have been easier if I did this when, you know? And what, regardless of the physical thing, I've realized why, I've realized what it is about having kids late is that if you have kids when you're 20, you haven't fucking done anything. You haven't had a life. You've never had, like enough money to do whatever the fuck you wanted on your weekends. (laughs) And so, like, there's nothing that you keep, that you think back to. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, high school, man. High school was great. I wish I could go back to high school. But when you have kids later in life and you fucking lived the rock and roll
0: lifestyle, you have that to refer back to. And you realize you never want to go back to high school.
1: (laughs) You bring up a very good point because I get to this point now where I'm like, oh, well, well, yeah, I did that. Yeah. i'm good so now this this i haven't done well but that i've done it's hey we're gonna go out we're gonna go see a show we're gonna go to a bar i did that a lot and i had a yeah. lot of fun doing it and even now if i revisit it i have fun doing it and then i'm fine for well, months see, that's the,
2: what i was <laughs> that's the revelation is that i think if you get if you if you wait long enough you're done with all that yeah shit. so you can think <laughs> back to it and remember how good it was but but yeah you don't have to be doing it whereas if i had kids like you know maybe when i was like 29 Ugh. you know I wouldn't have been out of my system that would have been a bad time for me to have kids so
1: so, so anyway
2: kids listening to this yeah. in 2045 <laughs>
1: when I'm dead <laughs> <laughs> your children will be like what, what was he saying about us it's <laughs> terrible uh, speaking of terrible why not give away your money to us Terrible idea. Terrible, terrible idea. Do it. Please, please, please <laughs> donate to us because I've um, been listening to a lot of podcasts recently and some have uh, these things called sponsors. We don't. So we'd like you to sponsor us. And we're one of those podcasts. We don't have you know a premium subscription service. We just like doing it because we like giving away our money. So if you, like us, want to give away your money, we'll take it and it'll keep this going and
0: that would be glorious because as of yet... Not a whole lot to report on that front. Not a lot on that port. Uh, it's only been a couple of years. Uh, so you can do that at goingofftrack.com, our, our wonderful website. Um, you can leave a nice... If you don't want to give money, leave a nice comment on iTunes. That would be um, delightful. That's just like a nice thing to do. Something I never do for anyone. Nope. But so We want you to do but it. But you should do it. Uh, and uh, Send us
1: an email at facebook.com
0: slash goingofftrack. We will respond. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us individually on Twitter. Um, follow you you know, us down the street. Follow us down the street. No, follow no. us home. Follow Jonah home. Follow me home. Make out with him in an elevator. Make out with Jonah. Make in out, elevator, out with me wherever. Like last <laughs> night.
1: <laughs> the funny thing is, it depends on when people are listening to it, but the, ch- the odds are pretty good on that. Yeah, happening again. It
0: happens. It ha- You know, I, he's, I, a, like, hot, I, I he's really a hot. Don't, I really don't. really, He's a sexy man. I don't really like this. This old, a band. I love this. So uncomfortable. I love this right so now. much. <laughs>
1: oh and listen to Jonas' record and, and read everything check out my he
0: record and more importantly check out I think this have, there's still a couple box sets left that Steak Mountain did the art for but you should check out his art regardless it's awesome uh, I love the art for the new Against Me record it's so great so great his band Combat Winter Veteran his old band is incredible so check out all Steak Mountain stuff and keep listening to our podcast if you want to hear interviews with interesting people <laughs> such as Steak Mountain